Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to walk through some stuff again today. I, I really have, in effect, two more sermons, and, and, uh, and then we have Christmas, which I can't believe. I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, this year's been amazing. It's been a fire hydrant. And uh, I know that, and I appreciate y'all being here. Today, we're going to look at the millennium and uh, just some of the different aspects of it. Next week, we're going to look at uh, the great white throne judgment and the, the new heaven and the new earth, and then we've got Christmas, and we're going to celebrate that, and we'll walk into the new year. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't know what you love about this earth. What is it that you love about this earth? One of my favorite things, and, and uh, I have family in Switzerland, I can remember as uh, somewhere in the age of six or seven years old, visiting family up in Hopkern, Switzerland. It's right above Interlaken, right above Lake Thun. Uh, it's on the opposite side of the Eiger, the Jungfrau, and the Monch, the most famous peaks of Switzerland. And I can remember standing in my relative's driveway, looking straight across at those peaks, looking down at the reflection in the lake below. And I literally, as a six or seven-year-old, had the thought go through my mind, I cannot believe that my relatives get to wake up every day and look at this. It was phenomenal. I, I love the woods. Right? I'm not so much a beachgoer. Uh, the sunburn doesn't work for me. Um, <laughs> I like the woods. And I love the fall. There you go, Chad. <laughs> I love the fall. I love when the leaves turn. I can remember as a little kid, we lived in Pennsylvania, and we had uh, a place up in the Pocono Mountains uh, that we would go to. It was right on a lake. It was about an acre worth of uh, woods that it, the, the log cabin was in, and uh, all kinds of wonderful memories about that. But I can remember driving there, probably about 10 years old, something along those lines, uh, uh, some of those lines, going through the tunnel, the Lehigh Valley Tunnel. Anybody from Pennsylvania, you know what I'm talking about? You go through the Lehigh Valley Tunnel. It's a pretty long tunnel. You get to the other side of it. And when we went into the tunnel, fall had not hit yet. And when we came out of that tunnel, it was miraculous. Made an imprint on me because everything was in full color. Not just yellow. I love yellow. I like aspen trees. But I'm talking about reds and oranges and yellows and everything. Just amazing to look at. I don't know what you love. I don't know what you love about this earth. But I got to tell you, the millennium is going to be a culmination where when the Lord establishes his rule and reign on this earth, even the bondage that creation is now under will be broken. There will still be sin. We're going to see that dealt with at the end of the millennium. There still will be death. We'll see that absolutely dealt with at the end of the millennium. But it will be minimized to the point where as believers ruling and reigning with Christ, it is going to be a new day. It's going to be marvelous. I, I think it's safe to say and I think it's Acceptable to say that everything wonderful and good that reflects the glory of God today in our world right now will be enhanced to the uttermost during the millennium. It's going to be amazing. Folks, when we talk about 
the relationships that we have and the friendships. And we talk about the harmony and the unity. And we talk about worshiping the Lord. And we talk about the goodness of God. It's going to be an experience that somehow within, deep within all of us, there's this longing for. But when we get to the millennium, it will become realized in a way that today it won't be. There's several things when we talk about the millennium that I want to make sure uh, that we have an understanding of because it is a vast um, discussion. It's an amazing one. Uh, when we talk about the millennium, there's all kinds of different things that are taking place. There's all kinds of things uh, when we walk through this and we look at this kind of stuff that we need to understand. Prior to the millennium, there are several things which take place, and it's important because the Lord is establishing, he's setting up his kingdom. The first resurrection is going to be completed. And when we talk about the first resurrection, we're not just talking about one particular event. We're talking about a time frame, everything before the actual installment of the millennium. In other words, there's going to be the dead in Christ that rise when the rapture takes place, and we who are uh, remaining will be caught up to be together with them in the air. That's part of the first resurrection. All of those who are believers that went through the tribulation and, and gave their life for Christ or were killed because of the testimony of the Lord, that's part of the first resurrection. The first resurrection will be completed prior to the beginning of the millennium. The second resurrection is the resurrection of the lost. And that will take place at the end of the millennium. And all of those who were unbelievers, who did not believe in the Lamb, who did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, will have to stand before the great white throne judgment where the books will be opened and the book will be opened. The resurrection, the first resurrection, will be completed. I like what Warren Wearsby says on this. He says, the Bible teaches two resurrections. The first is of the saved and leads to blessing. The second is of all the lost and leads to judgment. These two resurrections will be separated by a thousand years. The second thing to understand is that there will be prior to uh, and in the process of the Lord establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem over the entire earth, the separating of the nations, the sheep and the goats. And we're going to look at that a little bit more carefully. There will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw this a little bit last week. There will be the binding of Satan. And this is important because there's the judgment of the dragon. There's the binding of Satan, who is the dragon. And he will be bound and placed into the pit for the entire thousand-year reign of Christ. He will not be able to deceive anybody. He will not be able to tempt anybody. And as a result, the sin that takes place at the very end of the millennium through those individuals who gave lip service to Christ but actually didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, sin will be revealed for how awful it truly is. Can't blame Satan, can't blame others. It's part of our nature in that sense, and we'll look at that a little bit as well. And of course, there's the judging of the beast and the prophet. The political systems, the religious systems, all of those things are going to be dealt with as we go into the millennium. The Lord is going to establish his throne. What do we know about the millennium? There's all kinds of stuff, and, and it's amazing. I mean, you start reading through this, and I, 
I felt like I was myself drinking through a fire hydrant. I thought, Lord, give me grace and how to, how to condense this a little bit. Many different questions. What, what is nature going to be like? What will we be like? What are our bodies going to be like? What's our, our thinking going to be like, our mind? Are we going to eat and drink? Now, some of you don't care about that. I, I, I get that. But I like chocolate, and I personally would love to have chocolate during the millennium. Is that going to be a part of it? See, I think chocolate glorifies God. And so as a result, I think that during the millennium, it's going to be even better. I don't know how you get better than Swiss chocolate or even Hershey's. I really like Hershey's, but that's all good, right? What about time? Clearly, it's a 1,000 years, so there's a progression of time. Are we going to have seasons? Seasons. What are our relationships going to be like, marriage or families? Will people in the millennium be able to have children? What's the spiritual health? Will there be the need for people to be saved? What about sin? Is that going to still be evident? How is that dealt with? How does that impact us as believers? Politically, who's reigning? Where are they reigning from? Are there going to be nations or ethnic groups? What will the church's role be, not only as an overall entity, as the bride of Christ, but also individually in the midst of ruling and reigning with Christ? There's a lot of different questions that go into this, and, and we're going to look at a lot of different passages in a very short amount of time, so I, I hope it whets your appetite to really get into it, because it's a hope, it's an assurance that is an amazing, amazing time, and I, I think... If I went around and I had a microphone and I went to every one of you and asked you, do you want to enjoy the millennium to the absolute fullest that you could possibly enjoy it? There's not one person here that would say, oh, no, no. We would all say, of course. But friends, I would suggest this, that our work is going to be tested. Our faithfulness is going to be tested. And to the degree that we have been faithful to walk with the Lord during this life. It will be revealed, and it will also be rewarded. And for every believer, there is the warning, not that we could potentially lose eternal life. That's been given to us. It is an established fact. It is based on the promise of God. But there is the potential of the loss of reward. And friend, I don't want to get into the millennium where I have the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ and suffer the loss of reward. I want to enjoy it to the absolute fullest. I want to walk in it to the fullest. I want to be useful to the king. I want to be useful to the Lord in whatever way that he chooses. And I want to know him, and I want to grow in that knowledge of him. I want to grow in the wisdom and the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And I want to be his servant forever and ever and ever. Amen? I think all of us would say that. Warren Wearsby Again, says it this way. By the way, I do love Warren Wiersbe. If you, if you ever have his, uh, his commentaries, they are a tremendous tool. He's very clear, very articulate on these things, and, and I would encourage you. There's many others, uh, but I have found myself gravitating towards Wiersbe because of his clarity and his doctrinal integrity. He really is tremendous. What is the purpose of the millennial kingdom? For one thing, it will be the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel and to Christ, 
Our Lord reaffirmed them to his own apostles. This kingdom will be a worldwide display of Christ's glory when all nature will be set free from the bondage of sin. It will be the answer to the prayers of the saints, thy kingdom come. It will also be God's final demonstration of the sinfulness of sin and the wickedness of the human heart apart from God's grace. And that's at the end of the millennium. In Revelation chapter 20, there's a whole series of comments made about the millennium. And in verse 6, this is stated, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection that takes place prior to the millennium. That's for believers. Over these, the second death has no power. The second death is equivalent to being thrown into the lake of fire. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Three things just as a, as a categorical way of walking through this. First of all, there's the Lord's victory. There's the Lord's victory. Secondly, there's a worldwide reign by the Lord on this earth. And lastly, there's some specificity as to the characteristics of the millennium. The Lord's victory is over the nations who are warring specifically against Israel. You can see that in the, the harlot. You can see that in the nations. You can see that in the gathering of the kings who gather at Armageddon and then come against Jerusalem. And the Lord comes to Israel's defense. We come with them on white horses. And the Lord comes down and he slays them with the word of his mouth. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses 7 through 8. And if you can't find Zechariah, it's all right. I'm getting so used to typing things into the computer. I've got to go back and take some Bible drill lessons. I don't know about you all, but I start looking for Zechariah, and I'm going, I know what's in there. I know what's in there, right? So it's all right. If you flip around a little bit, it's cool. Or maybe you've got a, an iPad. Forget the rest of that stuff, but the iPads work pretty good. <laughs> and uh, look it up, right? Zechariah chapter 8, verses 7 through 8 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west and I will bring them back and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness remember that the 70th week of Daniel the seven year period that we call the tribulation which is the tribulation the first three and a half years with the abomination of desolation in the middle and the great tribulation the last three and a half years is all about Israel it is about putting down sin, and it is about winning back Israel. And at the end of the great tribulation, the Lord says, nobody would be alive if it had not, that time had not been cut short. The Lord comes, and he rescues his people. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 and following, he says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. And then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. What an amazing picture this is. 
Here are all the nations gathered against Jerusalem, and they come against Jerusalem, and they begin to attack. And the Lord, with the saints, including us, comes and he stands on the Mount of Olives, and he causes the Mount of Olives to be split into two, and he begins to fight for Israel. What an amazing moment in human history. When that battle is won, and it will be won, make no mistake. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and following, we have a picture of judgment. This is not the great white throne judgment. This is prior to the millennium. This is the judgment of the nations. And that word nations is ethnic groups. It is people groups. The sheep and the goats. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Folks, let me, let me, let me, let's be clear about this. This is not us. I don't know if there's been confusion about that in the midst of your life, but the the sheep and the goats is not the separating of us. It is not the winnowing of the church. It is not the wheat and the tares of the church. That's a whole different thing. The Lord's going to send his angels to deal with that. What we're talking about here is the nations, and it's specific to the time period of the tribulation, the seven-year period of time. And, And the question is, are the individuals of these nations, are they believers, and have they helped the oppressed Jews? Or are they unbelievers and have not helped the oppressed Jews? I believe that that's the context. The sheep, in verse 34, says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him. Did you catch that? The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Now certainly as believers, we can take a lot from that, can't we? When we minister to the poor, when we minister to the oppressed, when we minister to the hurting in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us, guides us, and directs us and gives us his grace in order to even understand what he has for us, we are doing it as under the Lord. Clearly. In the midst of this passage, what's being specifically related is that there are a group of people that are coming out of the tribulation who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one thing to understand about this entire year, it is that salvation in Christ Jesus alone has been the same for every age, every stage, to every uh, culture in human history. And it is by grace, through faith, in Christ. Period. They are not saved because they did a bunch of good works. The good works are an outflow revealing their relationship to the Lord. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were justified. That's what it means to be righteous. You don't get to be called righteous unless you've been justified. And justification takes place by grace through faith in Christ alone. These individuals revealed their loyalty to the Lamb 
And as a result, when the nations are judged and separated and the individuals of those ethnic groups are separated, those who believed in Jesus were placed to the right. And the Lord commends them. And he says, all these things you did for these oppressed Jewish people, my brethren, you did it unto me. (laughs) Conversely, Verse 41, he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Wow. The judgment that will take place as the Lord establishes his reign on this earth. The third thing is that Satan is bound during the millennium. In Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 we have this picture. I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss, the pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Now, we're going to look at that next week. That's Gog and Magog. Satan is released and he deceives those who pretend, act like that they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but have not. And that is, in that sense, the very final battle before the new heaven and the new earth. The Lord will establish his throne. His victory over the nations warring against Israel is absolute and it is complete. And at that moment, we get into the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is worldwide and directly from Jerusalem. The first thing to understand about this is that it is an eternal kingdom. The prophecy given to Daniel is so clear on this. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Wow. The stone cut out of the mountain without hands that crushes all the kings, the kingdoms, of this earth and is established as an eternal kingdom. What an amazing reality. Where is the Lord going to rule from? Well, clearly Jerusalem. What's he going to rule on? What's he going to sit on? It's the throne of David. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. 
And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. He is of David, the promise that was given to David, the Davidic promise, the covenant that he will have one sitting on the throne forever will be fulfilled in Christ and he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem ruling over this entire earth. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. We are at Christmas time. It's a beautiful passage. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The Lord's kingdom will be established. He will have victory over all of Israel's enemies. Israel will be brought back to himself. The nations will be divided, the sheep and the goats. The establishing of the Lord's kingdom on this earth. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And the Lord will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And his reign will have no end. Amen? Amen. What are some of the characteristics of the thousand-year reign of Christ? In Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 and following, there's a whole series of things that are listed. First of all, it will be characterized by rejoicing. Rejoicing. It's not that there won't be any pain. That comes in chapter 21 of Revelation when a new heaven and a new earth are introduced. There still will be sin, there still will be death, but it'll be minimized, it'll be marginalized, it'll be diminished because of the ruling of Christ on this earth. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing in her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. It'll be rejoicing. There will be joy, not only of the people to the king, but of the king to the people. And Israel will be brought back into a right harmony with the Lord. They will consider him to be the Messiah. They will be saved and they will serve the Lord in gladness. There will be the long life of mortals, and there will be mortals walking on this earth. In verse 20, it says, No longer will there be in, in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days, for the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. In other words, life will be longer. If somebody dies earlier than the longevity that is uh, the norm, There will be sadness. So death will still be a part. There will be mortals. There will be people having children. There will be marriage. There will be families. 
And in the midst of that, it's not that sin is completely done away with yet. That's the new heaven and the new earth. That's after Satan is released at the end of the thousand years and deceives the nations. And then we have Gog and Magog. And then we go in to the new heaven and the new earth. There still will be some of that on this earth. But it'll be diminished. It won't be as extreme. In Zechariah chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit on the streets of Jerusalem, each man with a staff in his hand because of his age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its street. Is there any greater picture than little children playing together? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Uh, when you really think about that, I love walking through the fellowship mall and at the end of the, of the church time, seeing all the kids run around. I love watching the children's choir. I love watching the kids that are in here, watching how they, you know, play hide-and-seek amidst the chairs. It's hilarious. They think they can't be seen, you know, and it's kind of like, well, is there anything more beautiful than kids playing in safety, in peace, without fear, families not having to worry, moms not having to have a leash on their kids to walk them through the mall. Think about that. <laughs> if you do that, I'm sorry. It's okay. I get it. I had two myself. But what we're looking at is a time of just beautiful peace and joy and longevity. Life fulfilled. He goes on in verse 21 of Isaiah. He says, they will build houses, inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. What a beautiful picture. Families prospering. Did you catch the fact that there's no theft? Did you catch the fact that you could actually work at something and fully enjoy the fruit of the labor behind it without fear of anybody coming in to take it? That's an amazing truth, folks. We live in such a blessed society, but I fear that more and more we are under this oppression where we fear everything. And that fear is used against us to diminish our freedom even more. Folks, in the millennium, that will not be the case. There will be freedom in it because the king is ruling in Jerusalem. I love verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. I can't wait to watch that. I'd like to pet a lion without even worrying about it. Wouldn't you? I think these people that do this cage thing are nuts. Nuts. I mean, I've watched some of that stuff, and I'm thinking, hey, the whip ain't going to help you, bro. You know, the chair, are you serious? It doesn't work. It's a lion. I can't wait to watch some of this stuff. The dust will be the serpent's food. Amen. Anybody like snakes? I think you're, I don't know. I won't finish that statement. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Oh, we're talking about peace that is beyond our understanding. There's something within us that craves it. 
longs for it because I believe God has placed eternity within our hearts. We know that there's something desperately wrong all around us and including within us. And when we walk through the millennium as believers, we will have glorified bodies. We will be different than the mortals. The mortals will be able to uh, marry and have children. We are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ in immortality. Sin is no longer a part of the fabric of our nature at all whatsoever. Think about that. I never have to worry about whether I'm actually doing what God wants me to do or not or whether I'm actually following the Lord or what motive is there in me that is somehow twisting what it is that I think God wants for me. Don't even have to worry about it anymore. It's not even going to be a thought on my mind. Praise God for that. Think about our relationships with one another. We don't even have to think about it. We don't have to worry about it. There's no impurity to worry about. We don't have to worry about our good being evil spoken of. None of those things. I don't have to worry about whether I'm hearing clearly from the Lord. Because there will be nothing to separate me from my king. Oh, folks, if that doesn't hit you this morning, and if that doesn't do something in your heart where you crave and long for that, not sure how to, what to say. I think when we think about these things, we think about this millennium, we think about some of these factors, take it even a step further, take it into the personal walk that we have with the Lord and the fact that there will be nothing that separates us. And as a result, there will be nothing that separates us from one another. When we talk about the millennium, let me just summarize The Lord will reign physically from Jerusalem. The millennium will be an unprecedented time of peace on earth. We sing about it every Christmas. During the millennium, it will be actual. Believers will serve the Lord during this time to the degree of their rewarded faithfulness established at the Bema seat of Christ where the testing of our works and the giving of rewards will take place. Did you catch that one? Let me read that for you again. Believers will serve the Lord during this time, during the millennium, to the degree of their rewarded faithfulness established at the Bema Seat of Christ. Folks, is this earth worth it? Is this life worth it that we invest so much into it that somehow it would diminish our usefulness to the king during the millennium and the ages to come? I would suggest absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think when we get there, we don't want to look back with regret. We want to say that we ran the race, we did it to the fullness of who we are, that we left nothing on the table. We let it all out. Why? Because it's our utmost for his highest. It's for Christ and for Christ alone. And in the midst of it all, we can trust the Lord in order to reward far more than what we would ever deserve. Amen? Believers will have glorified bodies. Isn't that going to be fun? That's going to be fun. I don't know how the the Lord, he had a glorified body, and he went from the road to Emmaus to Jerusalem like that. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that or not, but I I think there's a picture there that's pretty cool to think about, and it's a lot of fun. Because I'd love to, you know, after the service, just say, hey, I'm going to go visit my relatives in Switzerland. See ya. Gone. There. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Y'all be, okay, come on. I think it's fun. 
The nations will worship the Lord in Jerusalem. They will come to Jerusalem to worship. The earth will be repopulated. Creation will even be impacted. People will on the whole live far longer. Nature will not be in turmoil. Imagine that. There will be mortal human beings who marry, have children, and even experience that they're going to need salvation by grace. And you know, the truth is, is the people of God, the church, the bride of Christ, those ruling and reigning with Christ will have the opportunity to share the gospel with no fear. No fear. What a beautiful picture. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 and following, Peter asks the Lord something that I think, yeah, I love Peter because he's always asking things that everybody else is thinking, but nobody has the guts to ask. And I, I think that's pretty cool. He's always taking two feet out of his mouth at the same time, but, you know, he at least asked the question because everybody else is thinking about it. Peter says to the Lord, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that a great question? Isn't that what we do? But we just, we, we want to put our religious face on it. We're like, ah, oh, Lord, oh, we love the Lord, you know? And this idea of, hey, we're going to sit around and strum on our harp as little cherubs floating on the clouds. That's good enough. We're good. We're just glad to be there. Come on. Give me a break. All of us are going, all right, Lord, what's, what's, in, it, what's in it for us? How's this going to impact us, Lord? And he goes on and he says this. Uh, Jesus says to him, truly I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You also, meaning the apostles, shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now catch verse 29, because I believe this is for all believers in, in, in every uh, timeline of human history. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first and will be last and the last first. I like how this commentary puts it. In other words, things now are not always as they seem. Some who are mighty and powerful in the church will be paupers in the kingdom, and some who are paupers in the church will be mighty and powerful in the kingdom. How believers live now will have a direct bearing on their position of service for Christ in the life to come. That's amazing. See, folks, we have been given a gift. We've been given the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and the Holy Spirit has come to live within us, so we're without excuse. Because we can't say, oh, I, I can't do something. We recognize in one sense that we in and of our own strength cannot do it. We know that. We understand that. But in Christ, we can do all things. So when you say no to the Lord and then try to walk in the sufficiency of your own strength, at that moment, you're denying the very power, the very gift, the Holy Spirit himself who has been placed within you in order to accomplish what the Lord is directing and what he wants you to follow him in the midst of. We understand that we can't do it, and we desperately need to acknowledge that because unfortunately, a lot of times, we think we can do it. That's its own set of problems. But understand that Everything that we need to walk spiritual, to walk with God, to walk in righteousness has been given to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have Christ in us. And it's his strength and it's his power and it's his goodness and it's his love. And so we're without excuse. Because we can't just simply say, I can't do something. We desperately need to admit it. But at the same time, what we need to say 
but God can. God can. And in the midst of this life, no matter what it is, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, whatever it is that you're going through, understand God can. God can. And how are we leaning on him? How are we trusting him? How are we walking with him? How are we experiencing him? How is he being revealed in and through us? Because one day, as believers, we will have glorified bodies. And the question is, what will be our role of service in heaven on the basis of our faithfulness here during this life, our dependence upon God. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.